This episode of No Wrong Answers is brought to you by the Kauffman Foundation, which invests in educators and lifts up the Kansas City region and is dedicated to learning together to improve educational and economic success. Learn more at Kauffman.org. Sexual harassment allegations have rocked America from Hollywood to Washington, D.C. Are schools going through their own Me Too reckoning? Plus, a high school's inflated graduation rate shocks many, but not our teachers. They say that kind of fakery happens all the time. Those topics plus kids these days on this edition of the No Wrong Answers podcast. Welcome to No Wrong Answers, the weekly podcast that gives you a teacherly take on the world. We're back after a two-week break around the Thanksgiving holiday. I'm your host, Kyle Palmer. I'm a former teacher turned journalist, and I'm joined, as always, by a group of hardworking teachers who are in the home stretch of the semester, and they're ready to talk, so let's introduce them. Kirsten Brown, what do you do in education? Yes, I am a high school principal. Elaine Jarden, what do you teach? I teach eighth grade math. And Paul Donovan, what do you teach? I'm a high school math teacher. They are all three educators at public schools or public charter schools in the Kansas City metro area. Like I said, you're like three weeks away from being on um, holiday break. You just got off of a holiday 17 break. days, <laughs> not that anybody's counting. <laughs> uh, I'm sure no one's counting. You are savoring every moment every you moment. have with your kids in the month of December, I'm sure. Well, let's get to the first topic. Some suggest America is undergoing a moment of reckoning on sexual harassment and assault. From Hollywood to Washington, D.C. and beyond, women are saying, me too. Powerful men have been brought to public account over allegations of sexual misconduct and harassing behavior on the job. Former Today Show host Matt Lauer and public radio personality Garrison Keillor only being the latest as of the recording of this episode. With fields like the media, Hollywood, and politics being upended by this cascade of allegations, we wanted to ask, is public education also being affected? On one hand, you'd have to say, of course it is. Consider a recent poll conducted by NBC News and SurveyMonkey found that more than 80% of respondents say sexual harassment is happening in their workplaces. That's a pretty overwhelming majority. And a Marist poll last month found that one in five Americans and one in three women say they have been victims of workplace sexual harassment at some point. 30% of respondents in that poll say they had personally witnessed workplace harassment. So bottom line, the data show sexual harassment is happening in all kinds of workplaces. In a recent article, Edweek reports that researchers and lawyers specializing in harassment, however, claim that schools do have some inherent qualities that make them may be less prone to being incubators for sexual misconduct. Teachers, for instance, often work by themselves in isolated workspaces. There are disproportionately more female supervisors and bosses in education than in other fields. As one anonymous teacher noted in a recent op-ed for The Guardian newspaper, quote, despite maybe feeling more secure among female colleagues, she has experienced um, several instances of either direct or um, tangential sexual harassment. She says a friend left her school because she was being harassed by a male colleague. Uh, She notes the creepy dad who suddenly appears in a colleague's classroom and refuses to leave and the frequent and often awkward comments I've I've experienced from parents. That's that teacher talking. Um, We've talked about Me Too before on this podcast and what effect it is having on teachers and how they interact and teach students, what responsibilities they now feel to try to prepare both girls and boys 
uh, for these events and, and how they might be changing the world of the future. But I guess I want to focus this discussion on teachers and the workplace climate that adults are feeling. And let's just go back to what that, and again, she was writing anonymously in The Guardian, but she brought up several specific instances of, of a friend leaving school because of, of a male colleague harassing her, or the creepy parent or awkward conversations that you have in, in parent-teacher conferences. Do any of those experiences relayed by that anonymous teacher, do those, those things kind of ring true to anyone sitting at the table? Definitely. Um, Early in my teaching career, I was at a school where parent-teacher conferences were held in your classroom. And so there was a lot of one-on-one time with parents, and they would say all kinds all kinds of inappropriate things um, because it would just be me and them and maybe their student. But I've even seen it in my current site where we have conferences in a large gym. So the entire staff is in there. And just last fall, there was a parent who was inappropriately touching a teacher in that large open space. So I think the power dynamic issue between teachers and parents. And so you see that sort of stuff come out. Uh, what was the... I'm just curious, what was the reaction when this the, the physical touching was going on between the parent and, te- and, and teacher? Disbelief. And was it stopped or was it someone addressed it in, in that moment? Not or? in that moment. Um, afterwards, of course, we had a huge postmortem about it. But at the time, <laughs> no one really knew what to do because we were all just like, is this really happening? I mean, I see it happening, but this is so, this is so not okay. What do we do? Yeah. Uh, Kirsten, Paul. Um, any of your reflections uh, going back to that anonymous teacher writing the Guardian or, or you know, based on something that Elena said, did, did any of these experiences um, make you reflect on, on your own experiences? Something that struck me about how um, it was mentioned in the article that teachers tend to be more insulated from other adults and so it may um, cut down on the amount of harassment. Uh, I think there's a flip side is that since we are more insulated from other adults, when it does happen, there is less possibility of a witness. Mm-hmm. So then it may cause for more questions about the yeah, he said, I mean, she you work said in your part. own classrooms. The doors are often closed. Right. There's maybe more opportunity to, to take advantage of situations where there's fewer eyes right. on you. Well, a couple of you have mentioned this idea of, of awkward dynamics between parents and teachers. Why do you think that is? I mean, Elaine, you said there's a, there's kind of a, a weird power dynamic structure between teachers and parents. Could you kind of explain that a little bit more? What did you mean? I think some parents, not all parents, but I think some parents see us as people who work for them. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, they're in charge of us or above us. And so that's that's when I see that play out. Yeah. And you said that you, you've experienced like inappropriate comments from parents. Yeah. Like, like what? Parents will come in, like they would walk into my classroom and they'd be like, oh, I see why my son is doing his work in this class. And then they just look you up and down like that elevator look. And it's like, what, is, what are you doing? That's not okay. How I, do you, I guess feel, how do you respond to that in, in that moment? I mean, I think a lot of times it's just you can give them that look like, what did you just say? Like, that's so, what? It's so weird. Um, but I also think that sometimes there's this component where the school just wants to keep parents happy. They don't want calls. They certainly don't want a parent going down to CO. And so I don't know that if, I think it totally depends on your administration and the culture of your school um, as to whether if you said something to an administrator, if anything would happen, or if they'd be like, oh, are you sure? You know, I, I know there's more of a movement now, but I still think that yeah. the old system is and it's a strong. weird thing, and it's a weird thing because I mean the parents are not, they're not employees of the district. They're mm-hmm. not. They're not. They're not your supervisors. I mean, even though you say they, sometimes kind of feel like maybe they are. <laughs> it's it is a very strange dynamic in general. One because technically they are the parents, and so 
they sometimes look at us as being babysitters. Um, but then again, we will often see their child more than they will. And we will sometimes know more about their kid than the parents. And so then there's so then there's this weird sort of who knows the kid better thing. And, and it just it just it's just weird. Yeah. Uh, well, Elaine mentioned it and I'll throw it to Kirsten because you are an administrator. So, I mean, Elaine said it, it often the culture of a building often depends on the tone set at the top mm-hmm. um, in regards to all kinds of matters. But, you know, specifically in this case, um, sexual harassment or, you know, a culture of, of harassment or misconduct. So as an administrator, um, how are you thinking about these things? Yeah, so a couple of things. I think it's really important to for teachers to feel really safe to report these things right away and know that um, that will be taken seriously and we'll do our due diligence to make sure, you know, this doesn't it doesn't continue and that um, but tone is set for everyone that the, that type of behavior is unacceptable. Yeah, um, I just want to read something from the American Psychological Association. This kind of gets to what was something I mentioned in the intro. They say, "quote Organizational climate is a strong predictor of workplace sexual harassment and can include situations where men outnumber women, where supervisors are predominantly male, and where there is a sense among employees that complaints will not be taken seriously." Research has shown that hierarchical power dynamics are at the root of sexual harassment. Do you think it makes a difference that you are a woman who is in charge of this school? I think it does because a lot of the teachers are women within the school. And so I know we have really good relationships with them. They can come to me if there's an issue and we can attack it head on. And I, I get the sense that they know that I would have their back, so to speak, and take it seriously and do the right thing by them. Yeah. I mean, for Paul and Elaine, I mean, working in the the education, well, for all, all three of you, but working in the education field, it, it is more than like, let's say, the media or Hollywood. It is there are more females who are not only working um, in the field, but also who are in positions of power. Does that to you, has that made a difference um, in your work, in the workplace cultures that you've experienced? I think it depends on the individual. I've had strong women supervisors who would kind of take the position that you're taking, like, let's attack it head on. I've also had supervisors who are women who would be like, oh, honey, he was complimenting you. That was, you know, and so I don't know that really it's gender that makes the difference. I think it's more your attitude about the whole issue. Yeah. I think I agree with, I agree with, um, with that. I do think, though, it is a good idea to have, uh, more women in positions of power rather than fewer mm-hmm. um, just because of those this, the power dynamics in the, the male-female culture. I think it's uh, the, more, the more males there are in power, the more likely that there is that something will happen. Something I didn't mention before, but that the, the same Edwig article we've been referencing also suggests that a permissive culture among adults at a school can create, can kind of bleed down to the student level. Um, like mm-hmm. if you have... Um, teachers who feel threatened or if, you f- if you're in a workplace or in a school where, you know, say, for instance, male colleagues um, feel permitted to, you know, be able to say things sexually about their female colleagues, that, that that can bleed down to students. Would you agree with that? Why or why not? Do you, do you think, you know, the, the conversations and troubles and dramas that are happening at the, with, with the faculty, do, do students pick up on that? I think that it they do pick up on it. I can think about situations where teachers are having conflict and then you notice students have more conflict in the classes um, where like if there's two teachers co-teaching, for example, kids pick up on it and teachers model things. Maybe they don't even realize how things are being modeled and how kids are observing them and taking them in. Um, and it trickles down and teachers have to set that culture and that tone. And um, I think by 
kind of nipping things in the bud as soon as possible and having a culture where those things are like not acceptable at all, students are less inclined to fall into that as well. Yeah. And it's also been mentioned in the coverage of this this whole issue that in many industries or fields, there are whisper networks among mm-hmm. the, the female workers, particularly the female workers of a, of a production studio or a media company. And they'll kind of, um, you know, talk about the men that they have known or experienced and, and, and are there whisper networks in schools? Absolutely. And what are, I mean, what are some things that are said in those whisper networks? There's just people that you don't want to be alone in a room with. There are people that, I don't know, you just kind of know their schedule and where they're going to be and you don't want to be there at the same time. Colleagues. Yeah. 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 I was at a school um, years ago where there was one person in particular who everyone had this a similar story about um, this particular, actually was an administrator. And, you know, whenever something, a new occurrence would happen, everyone would find out, but no one would ever bring it to his attention or anyone else's attention and power. Um, it just was kind of kept amongst teachers. Well, thanks for taking on a, I guess what could be a somewhat delicate topic, but uh, thanks for talking about it. I'm sure it will keep um, coming up as it has already a few times on our podcast. Our podcast today is sponsored by the Kauffman Foundation, learning together with families, educators, entrepreneurs, and innovators to develop quality education that prepares all of Kansas City's students for the future of learning and work. Join the conversation by visiting Kauffman.org or on Twitter at KauffmanFDN. In May, Baloo High School in one of Washington, D.C.'s poorest neighborhoods gained a brief bit of national attention when 100% of its senior class, 190 students or so, Graduated and were all accepted to college. It was a remarkable turnaround. Just two years earlier, Baloo's graduation rate had barely topped 50%. The achievement was fawned over by media outlets, including National Public Radio, which detailed how it happened. So if you're expecting another shoe to drop, here it is. D.C. Public Radio Station WAMU got a tip saying Baloo's success wasn't everything it seemed. Reporters at the station combed through hundreds of pages of attendance data and district emails and discovered that... In fact, dozens of students in Baloo's class of 2017, the ones who all graduated and were accepted to college, had missed an astonishing amount of school. How much? At least half of the students in that class missed at least three months of last school year. Unexcused absences. One in five were absent more days than they were present. As one teacher, former teacher, I should say, told WAMU in this updated story, quote, it was all smoke and mirrors. Nearly a dozen current and former Baloo teachers told WAMU they were constantly pressured by school administration to pass students. They said there were students they didn't even know because they never showed up during the semester, but then appeared towards the end requesting review packets and makeup work. And administration would ask the teachers to make sure those students passed. Teachers also said they were encouraged to simply give students who were chronically absent 50% on assignments they missed. That doesn't sound like a great grade, but it's far better than a zero and easier to recover from. And towards the end of the semester, chronically absent students were placed in after-school accelerated versions of their classes called credit recovery. Any high school teacher knows that term. Teachers interviewed for the story say those credit recovery courses were less intensive and even many students did not attend those. Now, if you're asking, why would teachers go along with this? The WAMU article offers some explanations. Number one, job security. The article notes that the only teachers that went on the record were ones who no longer worked at that school. Other teachers still there spoke on condition of anonymity. And simply put, bad evaluations and reviews dog you for your career. Also, incentives. The D.C. Public Schools offers substantial yearly bonuses that can reach up to 
wait for it, $30,000 for positive performance reviews and sterling student data. School administrators did not speak to WAMU for the story, but D.C. public schools officials did, and this is what one official said. Quote, it is expected that our students will be here every day, but we also know that students learn material in lots of different ways, so we've started to recognize that students can have mastered material even if they're not sitting in a physical space, end quote. But the teachers, uh, some of whom quoted for this story, uh, say students have caught on that they don't know, uh, that they do know that they don't have to be at school every day in order to graduate. And at least one teacher interviewed said that it was an injustice to graduate students who aren't qualified, send them off to college unprepared so that they return to the communities uh, that they come from to continue the cycle of keeping that community down. That's what one teacher said. Um, so I'm already getting some reactions from the, the table as I was reading through that intro, but um, what are your gut level uh, reactions to the story? What does it say to you about education system um, if you, if indeed you think you can draw big conclusions um, from this story, I'm I'm, I'm deeply saddened by this. Um, I think about low expectations, something that often plagues off urban schools, and I think that this really encapsul- encapsulates that reality um, where you don't expect students to attend and show up and get the content, and you make um, kind of cut corners to bolster up grades that shouldn't be, um, you know, at these higher levels to enable um, the students to graduate. And I'm just deeply concerned by how teachers were kind of manipulated into holding up the system. Yeah. Um, I, I think maybe the breadth of it was kind of shocking, but I guess is the kind of principle behind it shocking. Elaine, you're saying no. No, not at all. This happens everywhere. Mm-hmm. In go deeper. Explain more. So in my district at the high schools, if you miss more than 10 class periods of a given course, then you have to make up that seat time. Credit recovery. Kind of. It's more like Saturday school. So like you're, you need to physically be present at the high school for X number of hours. But just because you're doing that, at least for me, doesn't mean that you have the same amount of learning as you did in that classroom. And this is something I think we've talked about it on a previous episode with uh, Google Classroom and how students think like, I don't have to come to class. It's all on Google Classroom. I can just sit there and do the assignment and it's the same as being in class. Well, you're missing the discussion. You're missing the instruction, all of those component parts. Um, But I think, you know, we see this happening even in our schools here. In smaller ways, there are a lot. There's a lot of informal wink, wink, nudge, nudge pressure to – Make sure that not too many of your students are failing. It's suspicious if you have everybody having good grades, and it's suspicious if everybody's having bad grades, so teachers have to thread that line. So there's a, there's a lot of um, fuzzy accounting that goes on. Yeah, or, or uh, falsifying data, you could say, too. I mean, you go that far to say <laughs> I would, falsifying I would, data. I would go that far. <laughs> I, mean, what, I mean, what does that look like to falsify I mean, well, the easiest one is the seat time, the mm-hmm. recovery, credit recovery. You just go in, you sign in on a sheet, you sit on your phone for th- 45 minutes, you sign out, and you've got your you got your uh, seat time back. And so it's, I mean, it's just, or uh, I've heard of teachers at a previous school district where who they need to make up a quiz, and so a kid will be walking down the hall, and the teacher will say, "Hey, what's the square root of 128?" And they'll say it, so they get a credit for the quiz that they missed. Yeah, And, I mean, it's just... Uh, Kirsten, you're in the first year of, of opening your own school. I don't know if your stomach's in your shoes yet, but, <laughs> what, I mean, how do you... How are you designing... 
do you have these things in mind as you try, as you try to design your school? I mean, you only have one class right. You have a fresh, you know, a group of freshmen right now. So you're building year by year. So mm-hmm. in four years or you know three and a half years, you're going to have seniors. Mm-hmm. Um, so how are you designing to try to avoid some of the problems that Elaine and Paul are describing? Yeah. So just being really diligent about attendance, making sure that we're reaching out to parents and like stakeholders, whatever it takes to make sure kids are coming to school consistently. And also when in terms of grades, um, we use standards-based grading, which is really helpful. So students have multiple opportunities to so show it's more mastery. about mastery as opposed to, to the just general grade, yeah, finishing yeah, or turning completion. Turning in work or whatever yeah. it may be. Yeah. So maybe in, in that type of system, maybe a little bit harder to to use the term that Paul used, falsify data. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, yes and no. We also have standards-based grading, (laughs) and I see some of those same practices. In my experience, it's easier to falsify. Yes, it is. With standards-based. Yes, Yes. because you can say, and you could use anything as evidence of, I think that's exactly what they were talking about. Like, students can learn and show in all these different ways. That's a standards-based grading thing. The 50% being the floor is also a standards-based grading thing. And that's not to vilify the whole system. There's a lot about it that I think is great. But I agree with you. It is much easier to manipulate it to do what you want it to do than traditional grading. I think in some ways people think they're helping. Mm -hmm. You know, they're like, if I can get this kid a diploma, that opens up more doors than not. And we know, like, retention is going to reduce the chances that the student's going to graduate in the end. And so I don't know that it's coming from a place necessarily that's bad. Um, The other question I had, though, is what colleges were admitting these students? Uh That was the first question when I read it. Well, you raise an interesting point, right? So if, I mean, oftentimes diplomas are just kind of seen as tickets, right? They're symbolic Mm -hmm. markers Mm -hmm. um, that open up doors for students after high school. So if they have the diploma, if they have re- if they've graduated, they've gotten that kind of symbol. They have that ticket. Um, you could say that is doing them good. You could. <laughs> you could <laughs> but, say but, that, but you won't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you could, but at the same time, you're also. I don't know. You assume that someone with a high school diploma has a certain amount of knowledge, and it seems like that's where these teachers are coming in and saying these students didn't have this. Um, You know, I think about like in math, how hard we fight to get kids through Algebra 1. They have to get through Algebra 1. And it is so tough for some kids. And it's, you know, we're working and we're trying and we're doing. And then sometimes we're having conversations as a faculty like, is this student ever really going to need to know like exponential functions? Are they really like what's essential for them to know? Is this part of their future? Yes or no? I don't know. But they have to have it to graduate. And so I can I hear some of that frustration, too, where it seems like your efforts are a little bit futile because you just want to get them that ticket. But for it to be this widespread for an entire school, I don't know. That just seems wrong. Well, when it comes down to brass tacks for the algebra one and some kid is on the line and they've they've struggled and they're not going to get there. We got to get them through the EOC. We have to. The test. They have to pass that test. The end of course test. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I mean, so there is something that they have to on paper. They have to do something kind of outside your class. And it's not just. You know what we were going through earlier—the standards-based mm-hmm. stuff that maybe could be based on more subjective and, stuff. And that's the problem. And I have great respect for middle school teachers for the pressures, but that's the problem when middle school students get pushed through. They pass the OC and they come to high school to take Algebra Two, and they don't know Algebra One, but they got passed anyway. I have people. I have students in college-level classes. I teach dual credit who don't know fractions, and so I'm teaching people in calculus. We do a fraction quiz every week because nobody ever made them do fractions. Um, so it's mm-hmm. just, it's, mm-hmm. and so then that so then high school teachers get middle school students who aren't qualified, 
and the high school teachers don't have time to to fix the holes left from middle school and teach high school and get them graduated. But then you're going to have a bottleneck where more and more people every year don't graduate, and that's not going to work, so you just push them through. Well, thanks for the discussion. Uh, stay tuned. We're going to do Kids These Days After the Credits. This episode of No Wrong Answers is sponsored by the Kauffman Foundation. No Wrong Answers does retain total editorial control. And what our teachers say are their personal opinions, which may not reflect the official policies of the schools and districts they work for. Like us at Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Just search for the No Wrong Answers podcast by Fountain City Frequency. You can find us at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And once you find us, subscribe and leave us a review. It helps. There are no other podcasts like ours. Giving you a teacherly take on the world week after week. If you've enjoyed the conversation you've heard, subscribe, leave us a review and keep the conversation going. Now to kids these days. Kirsten, what are your freshmen into? Yeah, so it's a brand new school, and it is our first time having a basketball team, so they're really excited about that. Uh, Paul, what are your kids into, your high school kids? Well, the perennial topic of DC versus Marvel has heated up. Since the Justice League movie just came out, everybody's talking about how bad it is or isn't. But then this on Wednesday, like four days ago, I had several students come in and say, hey, Mr. Donovan, they just released the trailer for the new Avengers Infinity War, which comes out. Can we watch it in class? And there were like three people came in one after another in one class that wanted everybody to see that trailer. Since it's like four minutes, I went ahead and we watched that at the beginning and the kids just went crazy. And I apologize, Justice League is DC? DC. Okay. And Avengers is Marvel. Correct. Okay. Don't want to... I knew that much. (laughs) Uh, Elaine, your middle school kids, what are they into? So we've had a resurgence of necking. Did that cut through your schools? Uh It's back again. (laughs) So has somebody already talked about it on Kids These Days? I I feel like I vaguely know what necking is, but you might want to do a refresher. It's not in the way you might think. (laughs) Um, So basically, if if you do something that should be, I don't know, if you miss a question, let's say, that's really obvious... Something you should know. Someone can take your neck by slapping the back of your neck, or you can do it to yourself. And so kids will be like working on a quiz and they'll get stuck and then they'll figure it out and they'll be like, oh, and they'll like throw their pencil in the air and then slap the back of their neck. And so that's that's back. Uh, well, thanks to our teachers this week, uh, Kirsten Brown, Paul Donovan, Elaine Jordan. Thanks as always to Matt Hodap, who produces the podcast. Thank you to KCUR 89.3, Kansas City Public Radio, where we tape. Got three weeks left, guys, until... Another holiday break. So until then, remember kids, be nice to your teachers. Mm